So let's go in our Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I'm reading a lot of the Bible this morning because I, I want you to get the kind of the, the overall story. Uh, I won't have time to go through every verse of it, but uh, we, I want to get you a picture of the overall story. So let's go. Mark chapter 5. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation. Uh, and I may not be able to compete with, the, with that little jewel who's crying out. See what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. So we have a wonderful nursery, if you'd like to provide. The pastors, you know, the, the, the children's nursery is the first pastor our babies ever see. Amen. I thank God for our children, church workers, our kids workers, our nursery workers, because they love on these babies. They kiss these babies. They change the diaper for these babies. How many know? I don't want to go change those diapers. Amen. But <laughs> I'm kidding you. Thank God for this ministry of, 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 of nursery workers. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They arrived at the other side of the lake, at the region of the uh, Gerasenes. As Jesus stepped ashore, a demon-possessed madman came out of the graveyard and confronted him. The man had been living there among the tombs of the dead, and no one was able to restrain him, not even with chains. For every time they attempted to chain his hands and feet with shackles, he would snap the chains and break the shackles in peace. He was so strong that no one had the power to subdue him. Day and night he could be found lurking in the cemetery or in the vicinity, shrieking and mangling himself with stones. Well, first of all, let me say, this is not, a, this is not the uh, uh, summary of a Halloween movie. How many understand that, okay? This was real life, okay? When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran to him and threw himself down before him, screaming out at the top of his lungs, Leave me alone, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Swear in God's name that you won't torture me. For Jesus had already said to him, Come out of that man, you demon spirit. Jesus said to him, What is your name? Mob, he answered. They call me Mob because there are thousands of us in his body. Let me insert this real quick. By mob, uh, it was a term used by the Roman soldiers. Legion is another name for that. Identifying 6,000 soldiers in a legion or a mob in the Roman army. So he's identifying here, the demon is speaking through this man. Oh yeah, he's using his vocal cords, his mouth, his tongue, but he's in possession. So he's speaking through this man and he says, we are mob, we are legion, we are 6,000 or so. We're a lot. Whew. Jesus said to him, what is your name? Mob, he answered. They call me mob because there are thousands of us in his body. He begged Jesus repeatedly not to expel them out of the region. Nearby, there was a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the demon horde immediately came out of the man and went into the pigs. This caused the herd to rush madly down the steep slope and fall into the lake, drowning about 2,000 pigs. Now the herdsmen fled to the nearby villages, telling everyone what they saw as they ran through the countryside and everyone came out to see what happened. Now, let me just help you with this. 
This was not a Jewish community. This was a non-Jewish community. They raised swine for their livelihood. Now, let's think about that. 2,000 swine, healthy pigs today, would be worth of about, in today's dollars, $250,000. Wouldn't that affect the entire economy around there? To lose $250,000, drowned in the lake, boom, just like that. Well, of course they were a little bit ticked off. Of course they were scared. Of course they didn't know what was going on. And they came out to see what was happening. They came out to see this Jesus and this man. When they found Jesus, they saw the demonized man sitting there, properly clothed and in his right mind. Seeing what had happened to the man who had thousands of demons, the people were terrified. Those who had witnessed this miracle reported the news to the people and included what had happened to the pigs. Then they asked Jesus to leave their region. And as, the, as Jesus began to get into the boat to depart, the man who had been set free from demons asked him, Could I go with you? Jesus answered, No, but said to him, Go back to your home and to your family and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he had mercy on you. So the man left and went into the region of Jordan and parts of Syria to tell everyone he met about what Jesus had done for him. And all the people marveled. Heavenly Father, thank you today for the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, speak straight to our souls today. Our ears are open, our hearts are open to hear what you're saying to us. And by the power of your name, may everyone who is hurting, who is oppressed, everyone who is suffering with with sickness or disease or suffering from addictions of any kind, Lord, anyone who's held in any kind of bondage, may they be liberated today by the power of your holy name. Amen and amen. God bless you as you're seated. So in this series, Miracles, and we'll conclude it next Sunday, in this series called Miracles, we've seen Jesus intervene for a man with leprosy, considered untouchable, for a woman with a long-term flow of blood, considered incurable, and today for a demonized man, considered uncontrollable. If you're following me in your notes or your handout, let's take a look at this. Number one, this intervention was no accident. It was a divine appointment. Let me say that again. This intervention was no accident. It was a divine appointment. Now let's go back and see the bigger picture here, what's going on just prior to this undertaking of Jesus. We understand that at the beginning or the end of Mark chapter 4, in particular verse 35, Jesus had uh, instructed the boys, let's get into the boat and let's go to the other side of the lake. The Bible says that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. He wanted to leave where they were in the Capernaum area and go across the lake to this area of the Gerasenes. And the Bible says in chapter 5, verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Then if you go on down further, and we read it, verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. Now, what's going on here? Jesus is telling the guys, I want to go to the other side of the lake. In process of that, 
departure and en route to the other side of the lake, to the side where this demonized man lived. You understand the story, and we preach a lot about this story because it's a, a beautiful story of God's presence, the power of his peace, the power of his word, the authority of his word. And we, we, we revel in this, but sometimes we break them apart. We break one story away from another and they kind of isolate. We need to understand the context of this. Jesus says to them, I want to go to the other side of the lake. He is saying, I have a purpose. I have a reason to go. Understand this. Jesus did everything with intentionality. Amen. He had a reason. He had a mode of operation. And what was that? He did, and we follow his example here. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what I hear the Holy Spirit saying. How many think that's probably good advice for every church? Amen. That we watch what the Father's doing, and we say what the Spirit is saying. That's exactly how Jesus operated. So this was no accident. He knew exactly what he was doing. He needed to get to the other side of the lake. This was a divine appointment. So Jesus, in just a matter of, of a number of hours gets across the lake, deals with this, intervenes for this demonized man, sets him free, and immediately then gets back in the boat to go back to the other side of the lake. Are you following me? So on his way, on the lake, you know the story. In a sense, let me say it like this, all hell and high water broke loose. That's what they felt like. They felt like, where's this wind coming from? Now, all the while the wind is blowing and the waves are rocking, the water is coming into the boat, here are these trained, skilled, lifelong fishermen who have experienced storms at sea before. They knew what it was to, to uh, 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 bear patiently and to master the wind and the boat and, and, and how to. But at this time, they were so afraid because they were, they, their lives were threatened Jesus, however, was asleep in the stern of the boat, his head on a pillow, resting. He's asleep. They're so scared and panicking, they think their life is about over, they're going to die, so they wake up the master. They wake up Jesus and, oh, don't you care about us? What are you doing sleeping? Aren't you, aren't you concerned about the welfare? Don't you know? And they're, they're like you and I, we'd be shaking in our, in our, in our boats, in our boots, Right? Jesus gets up, and before he talks to them, he talks to the waves and the winds. And he says, peace, be still. The winds stopped, and the waves calmed. Then he turns around to the boys and says, guys, what in the world are you afraid of? It was a mild rebuke, but yet he's rebuking them because they were so afraid. He was like, can't you understand? If I said we're going to the other side of the lake, we're going to get to the other side of the lake. So then what are you worried about? How many are glad for that? Now, here's what I surmise with this too. You're in ministry. I'm in ministry. Now, you may not be like I am, considered full-time vocational ministry, quote, as a full-time pastor in that sense, but you are in ministry. You are called by God once you are born again, once you have made peace with God, you are called to be in the ministry. 
You have the gifts of the Spirit. You are in ministry. You may be exercising those gifts of the Spirit in your intercessory prayer ministry. You may be exercising it in, like on the praise team and in worship ministry. You may be in teaching ministry. You all of us should be in witnessing ministry, amen, in, in a sense evangelizing our lost world, encountering the darkness and bringing the light of Christ to our workplace, to our school place, to our social places, etc., etc. All of us are in ministry. And I guarantee you, Satan wants to slow you down. And if he can, he'll want to stop you in your tracks to prevent you from getting to the other side. He doesn't want you to communicate to the person God is sending you to set free. He doesn't want you to shed the light of Christ on some dark soul. He doesn't want the liberty of God to come into a life and set them free. So he's going to bring hell and high water against you. Sometimes that's the way we feel. Where did that come from? Why in the world is this happening to me? What is going on here? Why did that happen? God, what are you doing here? Can I tell you something? He has you on target. You have a divine appointment. He'll get you to the other side. Now, Jesus gets to the other side. And notice what the Bible says here. It's saying that Jesus shows up at the right place at the right time for the demoniac. And when was the right time for this demoniac to be delivered? Can I tell you? It's the way Jesus operates today. Can I have a swig of water? It's the way Jesus operates today. Well, thank you. Now, anybody of you could have done that. You could have brought me a cup of water because the Bible says if you share a cup of water with the prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. So God bless you. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Anybody need a swig? Let's all drink together if we would. All right. That's better. Now, When does Jesus arrive for the oppressed? When does Jesus arrive for those who are addicted? When does Jesus arrive to set the captive free? Here it is. When they are ready. The timing of God is always perfect. He comes at the right place and at the right time. He comes when they are ready. You and I both know until someone is ready to say, I need help. You and I both know until someone says, I, 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 I need intervention. When you, you and I both know that until the student is ready, the teacher does not appear. But once they are ready, that's when he comes. Are you ready? Are you ready? Jesus intervenes when the hurting are ready. Secondly, this intervention was in a controlled environment. It was in God's hands. Now, I have to tell you this. You know, you're thinking to yourself, thousands of demons? Seriously? This madman who's cutting himself, bleeding, shrieking, scaring the lights out of the village people hiding in the graveyard in the tombs that's a controlled environment well it wasn't until Jesus showed up 
But when Jesus shows up, it's in a controlled environment. <laughs> Why is that? Because he's the Prince of Peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Jesus shows up, and he takes over. It's a controlled environment. It's in God's hands. Oh, I love that. Now, understand this. The demoniac realized Jesus was in charge, the Bible says in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees. And the demons knew Jesus was in charge. Verse uh, 31 of chapter 8 of, of Luke's account of the story. And they, the demons, begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. They did not want to go and suffer the final judgment. They knew their day was numbered. They did not want to be sent there right then and there. So they begged him, please let us go somewhere else. Perhaps those pigs. And Jesus said, go. The devil and his demons must bow to the authority of Jesus. You've got to understand that, friend. The devil and every demon he has must bow to the authority of Jesus. Question. Is Jesus in charge of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Because no matter what happens then, you will be in God's hands. Now you may ask the question, but pastor, if I pray and I pray and I pray, but, but I'm not healed, what if I die of this disease? What if I die of this addiction? What if I die of this cancer, et cetera, et cetera? What if God doesn't heal me? That's a serious question. Friend, I, I don't say this lightly, but if Jesus is in charge, if he is the Lord of your life and you die, he will take you to live in a totally controlled environment where there is no more death, no more suffering, no more tears. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a controlled environment. Tony Campalo tells a story about being in a church in Oregon where he was asked to pray for a man who had cancer. Campalo prayed boldly for the man's healing. That next week, he got a telephone call from the man's wife. She said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. Campalo thought when he heard her use the past tense verb that his cancer had been eradicated. But before he could think much about it, she said, he died. Campalo, of course, felt terrible. But she continued, don't feel bad. When he came into that church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old, and he wanted to see his children and grandchildren grow up. He was angry that his all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. Send this about her husband. But the lady told Campalo, after you prayed for him, a peace had come over him and a joy had come into him. Tony, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, We've read scripture. We prayed. Oh, they've been wonderful days. 
And I call to thank you for laying hands on him and praying for healing. And then she said something incredibly profound. She said, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. In God's hands. Here's the truth. If you are in God's hands, he won't let things get out of hand. Say that again. If you're in God's hands, he won't let things get out of hand. There's nothing can, that can pluck you out of the hand of God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. There is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. When you're in God's hands, he won't let things get out of hand. Are you following me? You'll always be in a control. But what if? You can always ask what if. So Jesus says this in John 16, In this life you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Thirdly, this intervention, like all miraculous interventions, was why Jesus came to set the captive free and release the oppressed, according to Luke 4.18. Now verses 3 through 5 of Mark 5 again, let's go there. The man had been living there among the tombs of the dead, and no one was able to restrain him, not even with chains. For every time they attempted to chain his hands and feet with shackles, he would snap the chains and break the shackles in pieces. He was so strong that no one had the power to subdue him. Day and night, he could be found lurking in the cemetery or in the vicinity, shrieking and mangling himself with stone. He lived away from others, he lived alone, and he lived among the dead. May I also say, in pain and not in his right mind. You see, my friend, that's the deception of addictions. Thinking you are in control of the substance, but the substance begins to control you. What begins is plain flirting, having fun with a substance, leads to substance abuse that leads to being abused by the substance. You are no longer in your right mind. Oppression of any kind is the work of the enemy. I'll say that again. Oppression of any kind is the work of the enemy. The devil's goal whether through sexual or verbal abuse or addiction to painkillers or other drugs or to pornography or to alcohol, the devil's goal is to separate you and render you helpless. It's to isolate you and render you hopeless. It's to contain you and render you without support. The devil tried to contain Jesus one day. Remember that? He put a stone in his way. He tried to shut him out from the rest of the world. He tried to contain him inside that grave. And you recall how that ended. Jesus moved the stone away and out from the grave he appeared. Hallelujah. 
And listen to me, friend. Jesus will move the stone, whatever the stone may be. Jesus will move that addiction. Jesus will remove that uh, addiction to alcohol or pornography. Jesus will heal you of any kind of abuse. He'll move that stone away. Whatever's separating you from your family and friends and loved ones, whatever's isolating you and making you want to be all alone and and, and not in the company of others, uh, making up excuses, hiding behind the mask, hiding behind the stone. It's it's as if you can't do anything in life. You've lost your vibrancy. You've lost your song. You've lost your joy. Your energy has been drained from your system, and you just want to stay contained behind the four walls of your house. Jesus will move that addiction out. He'll separate you and heal you and bring you back to the wholeness of the Father's love. Do you hear what I'm saying today? I, I, I can't say it with enough urgency in my spirit today. Jesus came with divine appointment to set you free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is the great bondage breaker. And then in Mark 5 again, we go on down. Let me share with you what happens. In verse 9, Jesus has a short conversation with the demons and with that man. He says, what is your name? Demons answered back, mob, legion, for we are many. We are many. I want you to take note of something that did not happen. Jesus did not say to that man, ah, how long you been living here in these tombs? He did not say, how long have you been in this condition? He did not say, how did you get started? How did this happen to you? You say, well, pastor, isn't that important? To Jesus, it seemed irrelevant at that moment. Can I tell you something? Your story of your past is not your entire story. Jesus knows your past. Jesus is aware of your addictions. Jesus has full knowledge of what has controlled you. He knows what has happened to you. In a sense, while he loves you, for this moment of time, that is irrelevant. What he's wanting to say to you right now, honey child, is from this day forward, I want to breathe life into you. I want to break the shackles of the oppressor off of you. I want to bring you out of the grave and into freedom. Hallelujah. From this day forward, I want to change your story to what has been, to what can be by the power of my grace. The Bible says later in that passage, he delights in showing mercy. Pastor, you don't know. Yes, I may not understand. I don't know if a lot of you know my story. I was into a lot of stuff before I got saved. Yeah, I was pushing. I was dealing. I was stealing. I was just no good, low down, ornery, and mean. Finally, by the age of six, 
I surrendered my life to God. <laughs> I quit pushing my little sisters around. I quit stealing grapes out of the grocery produce section. I quit making black heel marks on my mom's tiled kitchen floor. See, the truth of the matter is, I was born by, into a sinful nature. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, separation. Jesus came to ratify. He came to redeem that story. And that's why he came over to the other side of the lake that day. Let me ask you a question. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you been under that yoke of oppression long enough? Tired of battling that? Trying to thinking to myself, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, and yet you keep finding yourself going back. ready because if you're ready he's here let's stand